This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, hope is in the air. Not just because it's Advent, Christmas is coming, but because Pope Benedict has written an encyclical letter on hope. And our readings today, for this third Sunday of Advent, are all about hope. You know, there are natural virtues. I've spoken to you about them before. Justice, prudence, temperance, fortitude. These were recognized by Aristotle and Plato and Cicero. They come through reason and habituation. Any reasonable person can acquire them and practice them. Okay, and the church has always embraced the natural virtues. But above and beyond these natural virtues are what our tradition calls supernatural or theological virtues. These come not through reason and practice, but through the inrushing of grace. Only when grace comes rushing into your life are you imbued with these virtues of faith, hope, and love. So I want to talk about hope. The readings are filled with this theme today. What is hope? It's the theological virtue by which our lives are ordered toward heaven and the things of heaven as our ultimate good. Let me say that again. Hope is the theological virtue. It comes from the inrushing of grace. The virtue by which our lives are ordered toward heaven and the things of heaven as our ultimate good. Hope is that virtue that pushes us beyond this world and its struggles and conflicts and directs the gaze of our soul to a finally transcendent fulfillment. Does hope eschew the goods of this world? No, no. It affirms them. There are lots of goods in this world. But it knows that the ultimate good, the final good, lies in a transcendent realm beyond this one. You know, it's most important to note, and Pope Benedict says this very clearly in his encyclical, that hope, this theological virtue, is not the same as optimism. You know, we talk about pessimists and optimists, and, well, we prefer optimists to pessimists. Well, optimism is just that worldly attitude that says, all will be well, or things will be, things will be fine, things will work out. It's a kind of upbeat assessment of the situation here below. But see, friends, here's the grim truth. From a purely worldly or natural perspective, the right attitude is not optimism. It's pessimism. How come? Well, look, in the long run, every one of us is dead. It's true. In the long run, everyone's dead. In the long run, 
Every one of our projects and plans comes to dust. In the long run, nothing in this world finally satisfies us. Ooh, bad news, pessimistic. Well, yeah, okay, but tell me one thing that's false about it. You know, I probably shared with you before this image from the great German philosopher Schopenhauer. He said, here's an image for life. There's a man on a raft that's going down a very swift rapids. He's got a stick in his hand and he tries desperately to stave off the rocks and to keep this raft afloat. Down and down it goes into ever more dangerous situations. He's desperately staying on top of it. And then finally, he goes over the waterfall to his death. That's an image of life, Schopenhauer says. And what's wrong with it? What's incorrect about that image? There we are in this kind of flimsy raft. We're staving off our various fears and failures and difficulties. And at the end of the day, every one of us will go over the waterfall. The pessimists, in a worldly sense, have it right. Jean-Paul Sartre, you know, the founder of existentialism, one of the most pessimistic philosophers of modern times, had it right when he said, there's no exit. There's no exit from this life. I mean, we're stuck here in this negativity. There's no way out. I mentioned before, one of my great heroes is Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, consciously playing off of Sartre, says in one of his songs, listen, there's no exit in any direction except the one you can't see with your eyes. Huh. Now that, I submit to you, is a biblical voice. That's the voice of someone who is not optimistic but hopeful. Let me say it again. There's no exit in any direction. Bob Dylan here is agreeing with Sartre. In a worldly sense, there's no way out of this. Except the one you can't see with your eyes. What is the exit? What is the way out? What is the avenue of hope? It is something supernatural. It's a transcendent good that goes beyond all the limits and frustrations of this world. Okay? With these ideas in mind, with this basic distinction between hope and optimism in mind, let's take a look at this lyrical, beautiful reading from the 35th chapter of the prophet Isaiah. It's our first reading for this Sunday. Listen. The desert and the parched land will exalt the steppe will rejoice and bloom. They will bloom with abundant flowers and rejoice with joyful song. He goes on. The eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf be clear. The tongues of the dumb shall sing. And then finally, the ransomed of the Lord will enter Zion and be crowned with everlasting joy. Huh. That's Isaiah's vision. Beautiful, lyrical. Yeah, it is. Think especially for desert people like Isaiah and his contemporaries. This vision of the desert blooming. I've seen it, by the way. You go out to Arizona, and if the rain falls, you get, a, you get a sort of a monsoon rain. Suddenly the desert will just bloom with flowers. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. So desert people 
saw the aptness and beauty of that image. The ransomed of the Lord returning to Zion. Oh, that's a basic theme, isn't it, in the Old Testament? That the exiled people would one day return. So Isaiah dreams they'll be crowned with everlasting joy. Okay, beautiful, lyrical, yes. Realistic? Yeah, Yeah, sometimes the desert blooms for a few hours or a few days. And then it returns to desert. The eyes of the blind will be open. Well, yeah, maybe through a miraculous medical intervention, blind people might come to see. The ears of death be cleared. Yeah, I suppose from time to time that happens. But let's face it, in a number of years, those people will die. The tongues of the dumb will sing. Yeah, I suppose that's possible in this world. But even if it is, even if that happens rarely, At the end of the day, even those people will return to dust. Did the ransomed of Yahweh return to Zion? Yeah, they did. And they had everlasting joy. Uh Uh-uh. Soon enough, the temple, soon enough, the political establishment became corrupt. Oh, and in time, the Jews were conquered again and exiled again. What's my point here? When looked at from a purely this-worldly perspective, these are just idle dreams. Everlasting joy, the desert blooming with flowers. Well, not really in this world. So what's Isaiah talking about? And why do we in the church take him seriously, reading him to this present day? Because the blooming of the desert of which he speaks is not a blooming within the context of this fallen world. It's a realization that will occur through the power of God in a transfigured world to come. Let me say that again. It's not something we should hope for within the context and confines of this world, but rather a realization that will occur through the power of God in a transfigured world to come. And what is the Zion of which Isaiah is speaking? Well, it's not the worldly Zion, finally, not the earthly city of Jerusalem, but the Zion on high, the heavenly Jerusalem, where, through the power of God's grace, we will find definitive ransom and everlasting joy. Friends, these are readings about hope, not about optimism. They're not, they're not naive, this-worldly speculations. They are filled with the theological virtue of hope. I know what some critics might be thinking as they hear this language. Oh, there's the old pipe dream, the old pie-in-the-sky-when-you-die theology, which advocates a turning away from this world and its needs. Here's a dangerously dualistic spirituality of the next world, etc., etc. Gosh, in the years I was coming of age, I heard this sort of rhetoric all the time. If you talked about hope and about heaven, about a world to come— you were always accused of being dualist, that you didn't care about this world. But see, let me insist upon something here. By far the most dangerous people in the world are optimists. What I mean are those who believe that all can be made well here below. Oh, with enough economic or political or social reform, 
with enough scientific advancement, with enough psychological development, all will be made well here below. You want to know the names of some famous optimists? Marx, Lenin, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, were all optimists in this sense. That is to say, men without hope. If you think all can be well in this world, if you think, yes, the desert can bloom in this world, yes, we can be definitively ransomed in this world, then you will go to any extreme to make it happen. And now there's the story of the 20th century. Lenin said, you have to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. Well, that meant to him the death of 10 million, 20 million people. Sure, if you can realize human flourishing in this world, you will press it. You will pay any price to achieve it. Who were those, perhaps ironically, paradoxically, who did achieve the greatest social reform in the last century? People like Martin Luther King, Dorothy Day, John Paul II. Optimists? Nope. People of hope? Yep. People who believed, who looked to the transcendent fulfillment. And they were the ones, ironically, paradoxically, who affected the most powerful social change here below. The letter of James, our second reading, says, Be patient, brothers, till the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer awaits the precious yield of the soil. He looks forward to it patiently while the soil receives the winter and spring rains. Yes, the seeds are planted here. But the harvest is in the future. The harvest is something we hope for in a world to come. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.